uh, we're going to be back in verse number 1. And uh, verse number 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, last time we introduced the section here, the fourth and final section, this section of uh, really application in chapters 12 through 16. And uh, we introduced the section by re- and began really talking with verse number one. Uh, again, in verse one, which is your reasonable service, and that's really what this section four is all about, is your reasonable service. And again, chapter 12 here, the first two verses is that first area, which is our reasonable service to God. Then in verse 3 to 16, it's our service to the body. Verse 17 to 21, it's our, our service to the lost. Then in chapter 13, the first seven verses, it's our service under human government. And then in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 8 to 14, we have our service in the world. So we're not of the world, but we still live in the world. And then in chapter 14, 1 through 5, chapter 15, verse 7, the biggest section really in our service is our reasonable service to the weaker brethren. So, and then in chapter 15, 8 through chapter, the end of chapter 16, there's just some concluding information there by the Apostle Paul uh, as he uh, talks about uh, Christ's past ministry, the earthly ministry, the present ministry, and then his salutations and so forth uh, with everyone. So in starting that, chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And we got through the first two words last time. In chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, I, the Apostle Paul, beseech, that issue of beseeching to to, uh, come along and to emphatically yet kindly uh, uh, implore someone to do something. I'm begging you to do this, not begging in a bad, I'm, I'm asking you to do this, and he's doing it rather forcefully. And the issue of beseeching, it really is the only motivation, that motivation out of love, that motivation that comes from the love of Christ constraining us. We looked at that last time. Come over real quick. Look at Ephesians 5, just real fast here as we try to get back in. So we, were, we got down to, verse, to the word, therefore, and that's where we're going to pick up. But just in that issue of beseechment, and the beseeching, again, it has to do with a strongly seeking something from someone to kindly but forcefully implore. It's not a command to do. That's what the law does. Thou shalt not. Boom. That's it. No wiggle room. Black and white. This, Paul is literally releasing us to the doctrine. He's releasing the believer to come in now and to take the doctrine of 11 chapters, chapters 1 through 11, and to bring that information and put it on display in our lives. 
so he's looking at the issue here of I beseech you as a, as a thing of, here's the motivation. The only motivation that God will accept, grace will accept, is a motivation of love, beseeching. I'm asking you, we looked last time at Philemon. When he beseeches Philemon to let's deal with Onesimus, but let's deal with him not from a broken relationship standpoint, but rather from now we are all in Christ and we're going to fix that. So when he says, I, Paul, beseech you, we looked there at 2 Corinthians 10, in the kindness and mercy of God, of Christ. And that's the issue. That's really the, the, the picture here of, uh, of that issue because the language of grace, I beseech you, it has nothing to do with God testing you or trying you or getting you to redirect, rededicate your life, walk the aisle, uh, you know, <laughs> sign your name at the bottom of a blank page, let God fill it in. It isn't any of that. But it's rather, here's who you are. Your relationship is secure. Now go live in it. And that's what I, that's, I beseech you. If you look at Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as what? Dear children. Dear, that's, a, that's a soft word, dear children. It isn't a command. It isn't a, you better do this or else. It's a, hey, you need to do this as dear children. You need to tenderly and softly. So when you come back to Revelation 12, again, we got through, I beseech you, <laughs> therefore. And the therefore is a wonderful, you know, whenever you see a therefore, you say, what is the therefore? Therefore. There, there's a wonderful thing here in the book of Romans about the therefores. Each section has a therefore in it. Come back to chapter 5 of Romans, chapter 5. As we go through that first section in 5, verse number 1, the first word, therefore, based upon all of the doctrine in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4, about who you really are, a sinner, what did Christ do? He paid for the pride. He paid the penalty of sin. God the Father says, my son is paying that price. Chapter 4, you just have to believe him. Trust him. Therefore, being justified. Notice past tense. By faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Based, again, in chapters 1 through 11, we're seeing the mechanics of how all this is done. Okay? How is it that we're justified? How, is it, uh, how does our identity come to pass? What is our identity? What is our justification? Chapters 9, 10, and 11, where are we in human history? What's going on there? So in the first 11 chapters, we get mechanics. This is how it works. In chapter 12 to 16, here's, how it, here is, here's why I should go live it. Here's me taking the mechanics and putting it into operation. Here's coming along and saying, you know what, I'm going to go do that now because I understand this. So, therefore, being what? Justified. This is a statement of fact. Based on chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, if all of that's true, then what? 
we have something in 5.1, then don't we? We're justified. Because chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are fact. We, we are justified. That's just the beginning. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have, what? Access by faith. As the sons of God, we have what? Access to God. So the therefore says what? You see all that? Now look at the better. That's what he's doing. Hey, you see that stuff? That's all true. That's bec and because all of the information in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 is true, therefore, here comes the better. There's something better that's happening. And the better, verse number 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hey, it's, it just keeps getting better. Come over to chapter 8. Chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's a great verse. Because what, what's he talking about? Hey, if the, ha, if the identification truths in chapter 6 and 7 are true, what do we know then? There's no condemnation if we're walking where we should be walking. If we're walking in the flesh, what's going to happen? That chaos of chapter, 10, of chapter 7. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. That's chaotic. When I'm what? Walking in the flesh, trying to do it on my own. What do we learn? Chapter 6, verse 14. We're not, uh, well, let's get it right. Chapter 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For what? You're not under the law, but under grace. So if Sin, sin has dominion over you when you're working where? Under, in the law, under the flesh, when you're trying to do it yourself. But if I come over here and I operate in the identity that I have in Christ, I'm now being dominated by grace. Now there's no condemnation. Grace does something that the law can't do. And that's fix the heart of that inner man. So when you come over to chapter 12, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, there's something happening here that's happening inside of the inner man. And the, the thing is, is when that is, it, grace changes, well, what does verse 2, 12, 2 say? Be not, trans, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. Now, my goal is to get through verse 1, talk about this a little bit in verse 2, and then next week we talk about renewing the mind. That's the goal. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we'll get there. The thing is, is I beseech you, what? Therefore, as, children, as dear children of God, I beseech you, therefore, based on the doctrinal information and that information being in our understanding, 
having the heart of your inner man, the thinking capacities of your inner man adjusted to the sound doctrine. Adjusted. By the way, he's going to say here that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are literally dead men walking. Okay? That's our identity. We're dead and alive. And you go, huh? Well, what does chapter 6, 7, and 8 teach us? Just that. 6, 7, and 8, here's the mechanics. 12 says, take that mechanics and let's plug it into life. Okay? Verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And again, that's how the beseechment is made. It isn't a command. He's not barking orders here that you've got to do this or else. But rather, he talked, he's saying, based on the mercies of God, what do, what do we want to, I want you to do? I want you to present your body a living sacrifice. I want you to have a reasonable service here. I want you to have a renewed. There's some things that are happening here that need to happen in your life as a believer, but it starts with the beseechment. But it's beseech you, therefore, how? By the mercies of God. Now, we come back with over with me to Acts 13. It is not the sure mercies of David. You know that phrase, Acts 13 and verse 34. Acts 13, 34, Paul's preaching to, to the folks there, his first recorded public message that is recorded in Scripture by Luke. And he says there, verse 34, And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. See that? So the sure mercies of David, well, what is that? Paul doesn't say that. He says, I want you, by the mercies of God. See, so when you think about the sure mercies of David, what they are quickly, 30 seconds or less, if you will, is the, the sure mercies of David have to do with the provisions that God gave to the nation of Israel through the Davidic covenant. Okay? What did he say to Israel in the Abrahamic covenant? I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a kingdom, a throne. And then you're going to be a blessing to Israel, uh, to the families of the earth. What? Well, then those covenants are broken out in a little more detail and the land with the Palestinian covenant, but with the Davidic covenant, What's he say? Well, look over at Isaiah chapter 9. Let me get a verse instead of me just telling you. And I'm doing this for a purpose so that you can see what the sure mercies of God are. Isaiah 9, and look at verse 6. Underneath the Davidic covenant, you got Isaiah 9. Then it's Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of 
peace. Those five titles, the five mandates of the Davidic covenant are right there. What's he going to be? He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be the redeemer. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be the counselor, the deliverer. He's going to be the mighty God, Israel's avenger. He's going to be the everlasting father. There's the blesser. Then he's going to be the prince of peace. There's the king. Now watch verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David. Okay? And upon his kingdom. To order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what's the Davidic covenant? What's the five mandates? The five books of, of Psalms. He's going to be what? Redeemer, deliverer, avenger, blesser, and king. That's what he's going to be. So underneath the Davidic covenant and underneath the sure mercies of David, what does Jehovah say? I will do this. Behold, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What's he saying? Hey, look, Israel, you're gonna, I'm going to be your redeemer, your deliverer, your avenger, your king, and your blesser. I'm going to be that. So then when they look at that, they can, sure, mercies. You know, mercy's not giving you what you deserve. Okay? Mercy's holding back from you. Mercy. The, fi- this, the complete package uh, Keith Blades called it one time the, key, the complete salvation package of Israel. I, I like that because it's a package deal. The sure mercies of David reminds Israel of their complete deal. What's he, what is he? Redeemer, deliverer, avenger, blesser, king. That's what he's going to be. So when you come to Paul and he says, I'm beseeching you, I'm imploring you, to be motivated by the mercies of God, not David. He's not, again, if you think you're replacing Israel, who are you looking for? Sure, mercies of David. He doesn't say that. Come back there to Romans 12. He, he says what? Sure, mercies of God. Why? Because we just learned in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we are not Israel. We're not replacing Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. But yet God has done what with Israel? Interrupted her. She's fallen. She's dead. She's cast away. But yet one day he's going to accomplish and finish out his prophetic program with them. So when Paul here, he says, listen, because of what you are understanding doctrinally in chapters 1 through 11, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. We are to come, he's like, guys, I want you to come and live life. Not to get, not to gain, because we already have what? Gotten. We're Ephesians 1.3, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're blessed, Colossians 2.10, we're complete in him. We don't, we're not living life to get. We're living life because we have. Now come over to chapter 5, back of Romans, Romans 5. So the mercies of God, it has to do with what our salvation package looks like. And by the way, that word salvation just means really dictionary, just to rescue from harm. 
salvation has a past, present, and future tense to it. My, I was saved from my sins. I'm saved in the moment from trouble. And I will be saved in the justification, sanctification, glorification. So when we talk here about complete salvation package, what does that look like for us? That's what he's getting into here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, let's have what motivates you to do the beseeching, to come in now and present your body a living sacrifice, have that come from who you are in Christ. Now, look at Romans 5, and look at verse 17, because there's our salvation package, our whole thing, we are not victims, okay? Victimology belongs to the Satan and his crowd. We are not victims. We are actually victorious when you're doing what? Playing it right, living in who you are in Christ. Romans 5, look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, now watch, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. See that shall reign in life? God has equipped us to do what? Reign in life. To enjoy victory now. Right here. Not defeat. Not victim. Not woe is me. I, you know, nobody loves me mentality. I had a guy one time here. He did that. And I almost sent him in the next week. Because it's a victim. That's a victim cry. You're not that. Why? Because... What does chapter 5 conclude? First section. What were you? You were a sinner. You trusted Calvary, and now you have eternal life. Uh, look down at verse 20, 20. Well, 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto what? Eternal life by Jesus Christ. The first section ends with a reminder that all that God was doing in, the, in that first section was so that you and I could come and live life victorious. So the mercies of God in our justification produces what? Victory. Not defeat, but victory. So what do we have to do? 12.2, renew our minds, adjust our thinking. Come down to chapter 8. Over to 8, second section, chapter 8. Think about this. It's very fascinating how, again, the language that Paul is using. Justification results in reigning in life. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other, I'm sorry, depth, 
nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second section ends with us being what? More than conquerors. See that? And Paul's picking that up in 12.1. Hey, you need to be motivated by the mercies of God. And what are they? Dude, you've been set up. You've been fully equipped to succeed in life. Reign in life. Be a more than conqueror. And we, when we went through that section, I, we, we looked at it. When the, you, a more than conqueror is an issue of winning the battle, but then turning the end results to your benefit. Chapter 11. Watch it here. We just did this one. Chapter 11. I say that and realize this probably was like four weeks ago when we did this. We just did it. Come on. You know. Chapter 11. Look at verse 33. For God hath concluded, uh, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Notice the third section ends with all the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It it comes to a conclusion with you and I being able to understand all things. When we looked at that, you go over to Ephesians 3, you're able to comprehend with the saints the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know. So you see, so... In each of these three sections, we see the mercies of God. Now, we see it in Ephesians 1, in the details of the spiritual blessings. We understand it in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, and the completeness. But, man, you see it in Romans 1 to 11. Here they are. What's happening? Justification leads to reigning in life. Our identity, sanctification, leads us to being more than a conqueror. And then in the third section, that dispensational grand overview of what's happening today and our place in history today leads us to have an understanding of it all. We're not, we're not, lack, we're not deficient. We're not missing anything. Hey, the other, there's a show I've been watching on the, the TV. I watched the last episode a month ago. I thought it was the last episode, the way it ended. Clicking through last night, guess what? There's five more episodes. I'm like, how'd that happen? Where was I? I must have been sleeping. Okay? And the thing, the thing is, is I'm like, I'm what? I'm incomplete. I haven't caught up. Now, my other show I've been watching, I'm through to the season finale. It's done. So you just put that one over in the library, call, wait for it. And, 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 and these are mindless shows, okay? Shoot 'em ups and kill 'ems and stranglings and, you know. Linda got me hooked on Walking the Dead, you know, The Walking Dead, you know. So I told her, I said, don't wait for me, you watch. And then I can't. So we were watching one last night, and she goes, well, the backstory is. And she brings me all up to date over the six episodes I missed. And I'm like, well, it's a good thing this is all repetitive. Because after the third group showed up to kill them, I'm like, okay, I got it now. Groups are just going to keep coming. I got it. You know, figured out. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this. We are not deficient. The mercies of God has to do with our 
very specific resources that we have in Christ given to us by God the Father. So when you come back here to, uh, well, go over to 2 Corinthians 5. The, the complete salvation package that's ours, who we are and what we have, all of the wonderful promises that are ours, that's what is to be our motivation and nothing else. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, here's the idea. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. There's Romans 1 to 5. What do we find out? We're all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. 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 Chapter 5. Death. Death reigned by one man. Death. But as one man death reigned, life showed up by another man. The last Adam. Now watch verse 15. At, and that he died for all that they which, what? Live. There's Romans 6, 7, and 8. Living. Should not henceforth live unto themselves. There's Romans 12 to 16. And un, but unto him which died for them and rose again. By the way, verse 16. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh... Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. There's Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's right there. See? What are we doing here? Hey, because we know the sure mercies of God and the mercy, the motivating factor is, look at what he's done for me completely, totally. I have no, why in the world do I think I ought to go live some other way? Look at what he did for me. So when you come back to Romans 12, that's what's going to grip here the believer. Again, Paul is releasing the believer in the edification process here. Here's the doctrine. You got it? Now let's go live it. Let's have a reasonable service. So what does he say? He says, that ye... Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are encouraged to enjoy what we're able, what we already have in Christ. And we're to let that be what motivates us to presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. Now you have to notice the wording very carefully because of religion. Okay? Religion says that if you do and then they got their list, then you will be presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, and you will be acceptable unto God, and you will be doing. But do you notice that is not what Paul said at all? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye what? That ye present. Not become a living sacrifice, but that you are already what? A living sacrifice. That's who you are. That who are you already? Who are you? You're already a living sacrifice. Not you're not trying to be. You're not striving to accomplish it. You're not working your way through it. 
There's really uh, some odd ideas out there about you got to take this and work it down through. And if you make one little misstep, you got to go back and start over. <laughs> I'm like, I'd never get out of verse 1. <laughs> the first word in verse 1, I beseech you. We, we got two words last time. Why? Be but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about, listen, guys, in Romans 6, he's all, and 7 and 8, he's already told you you are a living sacrifice. He's already done this. So I need what I'm imploring you to do, what I'm kindly but forcefully pushing you to do is to present. Present, it's a nudge. You ever get a nudge by somebody? I get them all the time. Usually it's the back of the head. Wham! Oh! You know? What? Yeah, you're, what you nudge. Come on and let's participate in this. Presenting. By the way, present is another great, gentle word. Beseech. Think about that. Mercy. Present. Ephesians 5.1, dear children. They're gentle words. They're not harsh. They're not, you better do it or else. The only, it's, hey, I need you, I want, I'm imploring you to present. That ye present your bodies. Present. The present, the presenting here has to do with that personal, willful, deliberate choice of a course of action you're going to take. You're going to do this. You're going to present. You've got the doctrine. You've got the mechanics. Now I'm going to come over here and I'm going to present it. And I'm doing that by that act of my will. Deliberately, I've made a choice to come along now and to live this way. The only way that the living sacrifice, that life can be successful is when you deliberately, willfully choose to participate in what the Father's doing today in forming the church, the body of Christ. What's he doing? He's made you an ambassador. What does that ambassador look like? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about taking your body, that you present your what? Your body, this thing. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. What? No, you're not. You're bought. This belongs to who? The one that bought you. That out, your body. That's that issue of that outward manifestation of an inward life. This body, that's that visible vehicle. And that visible vehicle reveals what's really going on in the realm of the inner man. And that's where verse 2 comes in, 12-2, I'm in Romans 12, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that word and, that word here, that and is used here not as more information being added, but rather the and is an and of explanation. In other words, how do I willfully choose a course of action Went to participate in the Father's will, motivated by grace, empowered by His love, led by His mercies. How do I do that? 
I renew my mind. I don't be conformed, I be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, we're going to look into the renewing and all that next time, but our presenting, notice verse 1, the end of it, which is your reasonable service, our presenting of our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, is our reasonable service to God. It's a reasonable presenting because it's coming based upon a knowledge and an understanding of who I am in Christ, those mercies of God. Is that making sense? Okay? Because what happens is, is religion gets the horse before the cart. They come over here and try to make you do something, and you're doing it out of the energy of your flesh. Paul says, no, let's do it out of the energy of who you are in Christ. Why? Because the flesh has been, come over to Romans 6, it's been crucified. You see, we've already been here. We already understand who we are in Christ. And we do that, we understand that in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And that's why we spent so much time in 6, 7, and 8 talking about our identity because that's where we're going to live. Now, in 6, 7, and 8, we get the mechanics. This is how that happened. This is the, the mechanics of the living sacrifice life has already been laid out here. And in Romans 12, you know what he's saying? Come join me. Here's how it's supposed to work, 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 12, come and join. Romans 6, here's the how and the what. Chapter 12, here's the why you should do it. Why should I do it? It's a reasonable service to God. What's God after? Your heart. You're in what's ticking inside of you. That's what he's after. Now, watch Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are, what, dead to sin live any longer therein? That's the issue. Notice we are dead to sin. There's a death involved here. The reason there's a death is what happens when you die? You don't know because you're not dead yet. <laughs> okay? That's like my kid told me today that I, he, I, because it's Father's Day, he says, you ought to let me open half your gifts. I'm like, why? He goes, because without me, you wouldn't be a father. <laughs> I'm like, only a kid would think of it like that, you know? Like, yeah, it's a dad joke for you. Okay, anyway. Death, because when you interact with a dead person, how's that interaction? It's usually just one way, isn't it? Death liberates you. Our identity, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There's a liberation here. So the question, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. You see, it's an identification now of who? Us with his death. Why? Therefore being justified. We're justified. So because we trusted the finished cross work of Calvary and we're justified, we are now going to have 521 there, eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We have an identity. Here's the mechanics. You know, we took a cuckoo clock in. We have two cuckoo clocks. We took one to the shop and uh, to get it fixed. And the, and the lady's looking at it and she goes, it'll be about six months. And we're like, 
okay. We want it to work. We want it fixed. We got cuckoos everywhere now in the house, including the big one, you know. You know, I'm making noise. But you know what he did? He, she starts talking about the guts and the mechanics of every. And I'm just looking at her and eyes glaze over. Is she done yet? Okay. Okay. Yes. Fix it. You know. That's what we're doing in 6, 7. Here are the mechanics. Verse 4. Buried with him by baptism and a death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the what? The newness of life. You see, there... Are you dead? Yes. Are you alive? Yes. You're an odd duck because you're both. You see, that's, the, that's our identity. That's our mechanics. Present your bodies. Is my body dead? Yes. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now he that is dead is freed from sin. What, what's my relationship? By the way, verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his death and life, stuck together again. What's the mechanic? The mechanics are clear. What are you? You're dead, and yet you are also alive. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. There, there it is. Romans 12, what are we to present? This dead body as a what? Living sacrifice. No wonder people scratch our head, their heads and look at us funny sometimes. Because what are we? We're an odd duck here. We're not so, but aren't we odd anyway because of our justification and who we are? Yeah. Chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him, now watch, who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto, again, what are we dead to? To the law. Chapter 6, we're dead to sin. Chapter 7, we're dead to the law. Come on over to chapter 8, verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus Christ from Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that what? Dwelleth in you. See, we have this co-death, burial, and resurrection identity, don't we? And what Romans 12, now go back to Romans 12, one says, come and join me. You see who you are? Let's come over here and let's present. So the principle, the mechanics are clear. We're living dead people. That's who we are. Then in 12.1, when he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Let's now apply that identity that is already ours in the details of our life. Let's take that identity of what that, is, that is ours and let's live it out in our physical body. That sound doctrine of identification that we already possess in Christ. Now, how do we do that is 12.2, the renewing of your mind. Okay? 
So when he, by the way, when he says that you present your body, notice, a living sacrifice. Not present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A, you're already a living sacrifice. You're already there. So let's just come over here now. Let's present your bodies, one, a living sacrifice. Let's operate in the doctrine, in that identification doctrine. But now, holy. And again, that holy is just that issue of being set apart for what we've been created to do. What have we been created to do? We're created to be his ambassador. We're created to be seated in the heavenly places. We've been set apart. Titus, he says that he would have a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's what we've been created. We're holy there. We're accepted. Then he says, acceptable unto God. When we live in who we are in Christ... All of that identity doctrine, and again, not trying to do the religious route, rededication or recommit or, you know, or simply dedicate because we've never done it before. Any, not any of that, but when we come along and we function as who we are in Christ and we present, put it on display, the, his life that's out living out through our lives, you know what that makes us? You know what that's endearing to God? Acceptable unto God. That proper motivation. When we're going to come in and live our lives by the renewing of our mind, living by the doctrine, our life as who we are in Christ, that's what's holy and acceptable. That's what we're presenting. You catch that? That's what's happening here. Paul says, I beseech you. I'm imploring you to do this. You've got 11 chapters of some of the most wonderful doctrine on the planet. And I'm pre present. I'll give you a little nudge. So let's go live it. You take it. You put it into your understanding. And then you put it out on display for all to see. Then 12.1 ends, which is your reasonable service. You know what is reasonable? To do what verse 1 says to do. It is not unreasonable. It's what? It's reasonable to say, you know what? I understand who I am in Christ, and I'm going to willfully, deliberately choose a course of action that's going to cause me to live out in life's details who I am in Christ. That's reasonable. That's why we started with this first area of reasonable service is to who? Is to God. It, we're, talking, we're, I'm trying, we're talking more than vacuuming and taking out the garbage at church or playing the piano or leading the music or you know, collecting the offering. Up. We're talking about more than that. We're talking about everyday life. When you wake up in the morning, I willfully, deliberately choose to be this way today. And our service to God is based upon sound an understanding of sound doctrine and responding to sound doctrine in our lives. And that, that is literally the only way to serve God. There's no other way to do it. Because everything, 
if I said you got to vacuum the church building, take out the garbage, clean the windows, wash the buildings down, and, and that was your reasonable service, you'd be fighting each other to do it. Maybe. You won't be fighting me because I need it done. <laughs> right? No, you would be doing Why? Because you're trying to do what you're trying. You hear what I said? You're trying to do something. No, that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul's like, you are already this. So let's, a little nudge, let's get over here and live that way. On the job, you get reviews of him every now and then by your boss, and you know what they do? What's your goals? I was at the bus yard, and they do driver reviews every year. Now, they never ride with us. They never come out, and, but they do a review every year. And their review is based on their interaction with their, their, their uh, quizzing of dispatch. Because in dispatch, they know everything about you. How many times you call in, what kind of stupid, stupid uh, things you do, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They get the interaction with parents and all that. So I'm sitting there one day in my review, and she goes, well, Rick, we need to have some goals. So what are your goals? Pick up the kids on time. I just regurgitated to her the driver's uh, employment uh, profile. She's like, you're just quoting that back to me. I said, yeah, what other goals is there? Drive the school bus straight. Don't She goes, you would be surprised that that is a goal of some people. I go, then they shouldn't be drivers anymore. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, try to tell them that. Well, but that's not what Paul, Paul's not saying, here's a goal. No, here's what you ought to be doing. It's reasonable. What we are to do, the presentation, the presenting of who we are in Christ, we're to do it based upon that living sacrifice mentality. What is it that we're to do? We're to present. Now, how do I do that? Okay? How, how do I, in time, in life, present my body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? By the way, where are we accepted? In the beloved. Where are we set apart at? In the beloved. Where are we a living dead man? In the beloved, see. That's literally now what verse 2 is about. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about that, conformed. You take the form and, or the shape of, you, it's conformed to. You, you understand this, you take water out of the tap and you put it in a cup. And what does form does the water take? The cup. Okay? Be not, uh, be not conformed to who? This world. What does the world want you to look like? Think about that. We're, be conformed. Taking on the shape of worldly thinking. What does the world say? Don't be weak. Be strong. Only the strong survive. What's, what did God say to Paul? 2 Corinthians 12. In your weakness... I'm strong. You need to be weak, Paul. See? What does the world say? Don't you do that. What do you mean you go to church from 9.30 to 12, well, 12.30? That's foolishness. Only fools do that. 
and then you study your Bible. What? Who reads the Bible anymore? That's world. So don't do that, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed. A metamorphosis is what's happening here. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, come over to get three passages. Get Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. Because when you think about that issue of transformed, okay, Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. In the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he pulls Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17 and verse number 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. Now you see that transfigured? That's our word, transformed. But now keep reading. And his face did shine as the what? The sun, and his raiment was white as light. Now think about how does the sun shine. It doesn't shine like the moon in reflective light. It shines because the light is where? Inside of it, coming out. Okay? So think about the picture. You have the Lord Jesus Christ incarnate. He's in the flesh. He goes up on the mount, and what does he do? He transfigures. What comes out of him? Who he really is. Who is he really? He's the Son of God. He's deity. You, okay? So he's shining as the sun because what's in him? Light. Why? Because that's who he is. Mark 9. Mark 9. Mark 9 and verse 2. And after six days... Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became what? Shining. Shining as what? Matthew 17. The sun. Exceeding white as snow. So as no fuller, that's a laundry man, on earth can white them. So wait a minute. What's coming out of him? Well, he's shining forth as the sun, and but his raiment was what? White. And it was so white, now go to Luke 9, that no man could match it. Now look at Luke 9 and verse 29. He takes Peter and James in verse 28, verse 29, and as his prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and what? Glistering. When you read that word glistering, think of glitter. You ever spill glitter everywhere? Yeah. And now you got glitter what? Everywhere. And what does glitter do? It's sparkling. So when you think about this issue of transform, go back to Romans 12 now. And transfigured is the idea. Transformed is literally living out who you already are. Who, the transfiguration of Christ, who is he? 
He's deity. He's God. God is light, and in him there's no darkness. He's light. He's got that rainbow on him, that coat of many colors. That's who he is. So when he transfigured, what did he do? He popped open that fleshly clothes, and he says, here's who I am. Now, we didn't study the doctrine. You can do that with us on Wednesday night. He, boom. Why? Because who is he? That's who he is. So when Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, what he's saying is, is, listen, guys, our motivation, our beseechment of you is that you would present yourselves. How do I present myself? I'm not going to do it the way the world thinks I ought to be doing it. I'm going to rather do it as who I really am. Who am I? I'm Romans 1 to 11. That's who I am. So I'm going to live my life as who I really am. And that issue of live a living sacrifice who are you? Think about Galatians 2.20. I am, what? Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, what? I live. But yet not I, but Christ, what? Liveth in me. And the life that I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the what? The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, who are you? You're, you're a dead man. You're crucified. You're alive in God, and you're dead. You're you're a dead. You're a dead live guy. <laughs> you're an oddball, literally. And you know what you're to do? You're to come along, and you're to live as who you are in Christ. So, so think about a caterpillar. We found one in the house the other last the other night. I don't know how it got there because it's hotter than snot outside. So it must have came in when we were camping. I who knows. But what is a what is a caterpillar, a caterpillar usually end up being? But why? Because he's already DNA wise a butterfly. He's that caterpillar. His makeup is to be what? A butterfly. So he cocoons and does the whole thing. But what is what is he? Who is he over here? Well, he's a cat. He's a hairy cat. We had a caterpillar at camp. He was like that long, big old thing. You know, hairy looking thing. I don't know, it's going to be a big old butterfly. I don't know. You know, it looked like a caterpillar. It could have been a, something else. Who knows? But the thing is, is what's the, what is your DNA makeup now? This is who I am in Christ. So what am I going to do? I'm going to transform. The transformation process has to do with expressing a life we already possess. And the challenge here in the fourth section is to let us live out who we really are in Christ. Don't let the world define who you are. But what? We have the doctrine. We have the mechanics. Now we're going to take that and apply it to our lives. So guess what we're going to do? Next time we'll look at renewing your mind. So we did make it, all you gainsayers. Okay? But before we stop, because the time is up, Let's look at Philippians 1 and just get one verse here in this issue, in this thinking from Paul. When he says to present, little nudge, the motivation is a beseechment, the mercies of God, love, dear children, proper mental thinking here. 
And he says, let's present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's have a reasonable service to God by taking all that we are, all that we understand who we are in Christ, and then go live it in life. And whatever that life looks like, that's what I'm going to do. Grace and God's grace can go into any life and purify it because it's the only thing that can change the inner man. So it doesn't change the culture, doesn't change, it changes the, that person. Now I can go be who I am culturally as who I am in Christ. Philippians 1 verse 20, just real quick, Paul says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. We're to live in the realm of who we are. Magnify. Take something small, make it big, take big, make it small. We're to take all the sound doctrine and we're to put it on display. We're to live the life of Christ. For who? For all to see it. That's what 12.1 is getting us to. 12.2, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to renew your mind. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and the study here and the exhortation to our reasonable service to you with hopefully our understanding that the only reasonable service that you'll accept is that comes from a heart of faith, a heart of love, a heart of gratitude for all that we are in you and for all that you've given to us in your son. In your name we pray, amen. All right.